You're listening to a message from Stonegate Church. For more information about Stonegate and additional audio resources, please visit Stonegate.Church. I have been a professor for a few years, and one of my favorite things to do is to give my professors, uh, my students, tests, especially final exams. Now, contrary to what my students tend to think, I don't love giving them tests because I like to watch people suffer. That's not the reason I love giving tests. I love giving tests because tests show what you really know. It's one thing to be able to recite facts, dates, or content when you're comfortable, when everything is as you want it to be, when you have access to your lecture notes and your friends. But then it's another thing when you have to write out that content and spit out that content when you're stressed, right? When you're sitting in an uncomfortable chair for an hour, when it's a cold room, when you can't phone a friend, when the question's worded just a little bit differently. Test show what you really know when the heat gets turned up. They show what you really believe, what you, what you really think in your head that you, uh, that you, may, not, that you may not be able to know uh, outside of that test. It sounds cruel, but in education we call this assessment, right? We want to, as teachers, assess what our students actually know, and more importantly, if they know enough to actually move on. Have they grasped the content in this season enough to actually move up to the next level? It's incredibly dangerous to let a student go up if they haven't gotten the content that they needed at this level. So the tests are great for that. They're revealing. They add the pressure to show what's really inside. Now, today in Genesis 22, Abraham gets tested and through the test, we see what's really in Abraham. What has Abraham learned so far? What does he really know about God in everything he's been through? In Genesis 22, we see two things. Number one, God sometimes tests his people. Not to be cruel, but to show what's really in us. And then number two, we pass this test only by having faith to do hard things and trusting that God alone can do the impossible things, the things that he has promised. When it's tested, real faith presses us forward into obedience because it trusts that God will do as he said. That's what tests do. So today we're just going to take a deep dive. We're going to take a moment and we're going to look at what does it look like when God tests his people. Genesis chapter 22, verse 1, begins in this way. After these things, God tested Abraham. Now, before we dive into Abraham's actual test, we have to first grapple with the fact that we have a God who tests his people. We have a God who tests his people. For most of the world, Genesis 22 is a skeleton in the closet of Christianity. It's a big scandal. When you start talking about the God of the Bible, they point to this and you mean that God? This, this sadomasochistic God that loves to watch people suffer and, and, and taunt people to kill their kids? I mean, that God? I mean, I, I think of Richard Dawkins when he read this chapter. Uh, he just looks at it and he says, that's proof positive that Christianity is cruel and, and against the human good. Here's what he says. He says, look at this story. God tells a man to kill his son. And then at the last moment tells him not to because, as Dawkins put it, God was only joking anyway. So he just sees it as one big April fool's prank from a big malevolent deity. 
Now, part of the problem is, is people don't understand why God tests his people. We live in a very anti-test world. Tests are emotionally and mentally uncomfortable, and anything uncomfortable is traumatic. We don't want to traumatize people, so we should not make them uncomfortable. And that means the discomfort of tests is something that we shouldn't be doing. Just, just throw them out. They're no good. They may even be harmful. Well, this approach, as we have seen over the years, has had a devastating impact on our young people's education. And not just on their education, but on their whole lives in general. I think of the book, The Coddling of the American Mind, written by Greg Lukianoff. He writes this, A culture that allows the concept of safety to creep in so far that it equates emotional discomfort with physical danger is a culture that encourages people to systematically protect one another from the very experiences embedded in daily life that they need in order to become strong and healthy. Let me just put that in layman's terms. For education to happen... You have to be uncomfortable. If anyone's going to teach you, you have to become uncomfortable. He goes on to clarify, education should not be intended to make people comfortable. It is meant to make them think. Humans need physical and mental challenges and stressors or we deteriorate. What Lukianoff says about education applies to your faith and discipleship as well. Can I just tell you something if you not grasp the concept yet? God's goal is not to make you comfortable. God's goal is not to make you comfortable. He's not here to make you comfortable. His goal is to make you a believer. And to make you a believer, he has to make you uncomfortable. He has to test you. God is going to constantly press you beyond the boundaries and limits of safety and comfort so that our faith will grow. He's the great educator, the perfect teacher who knows that unless he tests our faith, our faith won't grow. And our faith, if our faith doesn't grow, it will deteriorate and we will die. God is the God who tests our hearts and tests our minds for our good. Now practically, what does this mean for us as Christians? The fact that God is a test-giving God has ramifications for us. It means, as 1 Peter chapter 4 verse 12 tells us, that we shouldn't be surprised when these tests come. As if something strange were happening to you. What Peter's telling you there is, be prepared for hard. I'm always surprised when Christians come into the Christian life and they're like, I didn't realize it'd be this hard. Be prepared for hard. Don't be surprised. When hard comes your way, it's not abnormal. Be prepared for God to tell you to do something uncomfortable, difficult, unsafe. Because he does that. And you don't have to be worried about it, anxious about it. You don't have to hate those moments. You can, as Scripture says, rejoice in them. Why? Because God is doing something in you when He tests you. He's growing you. Scripture says to rejoice, knowing that when your faith is tested, that you are being made steadfast. You are being made able to endure all these different things. And as you are enduring, you're on the road, on the path to spiritual perfection where you will one day be free from sin and suffering when you meet the face of Jesus. Ask, expect God to ask you to do hard things. To take tests. And then expect Him 
to grow your faith so that as you take these tests, you see the good designs he has planned for you in his test. Now, talk about hard things. Let's look at the hard thing that God asked Abram to do. Let's, let's look at the test in Genesis 22. Here's what he says. He tells Abraham to do one of the most difficult things I could possibly imagine ever being told to do. Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Now, look at the way he gives this test. God could have just said, hey, Abraham, I want you to go sacrifice your son. That's it. Real, real, real short. No, he, he draws it out. Abraham, I want you to take that son that I promised you, the one you've waited for years for, the one that uh, was given despite your wife's barrenness and your old age. I want you to take your son, your only son, the son that you love, and I want you to offer him up as a whole burnt offering. Now, if you don't know what that is, just a bit of background. What you did for a whole burnt offering is you killed it, cut it up, burnt it. Total annihilation. Nothing left. And that's what God tells Abraham to do to his son. Now, don't check out on me here. This is a story in the Bible. And it's here for us to learn something important about God. But that's, that's what he tells Abraham to do. Now, if we look at Abraham's test results from earlier in the semester, then it's understandable that we'd be skeptical how he's going to handle this one. Abraham has already flunked two quizzes. How is he going to pass the final exam? He gets to Egypt, he flunks it with Pharaoh. He gets to Gerar, he flunks it with Abimelech. He's already flunked his quizzes. There's no way that we should expect him to do good on the end of instruction exam. And yet he does. How is that even possible? Well, when I, when I have a student who's flunked his quizzes and aces his exam, there's one of two things. Either he's cheated, that's an option, okay? Or option two, he's grown. He's grown. And that's what we find with Abraham. He's grown. He's not the same man. That He's the same Abraham, but he's not at the same level as he was when he was in Egypt or when he, he was in Gerar. He is a new Abraham with, a, with a, uh, a deeper faith than what he had once before. And there's a lesson in this for us. God's discipleship program does not intend to leave us where we're at, but to take you further up and further in. If you thought you could be a Christian, just kind of level out. That's not God's plan for you. He's going to draw you further up. And for that, when we first meet Abraham in Genesis 12, we find him standing on the beach, sunbathing a little bit, scared of getting into the water because there's sharks. In Genesis 14, we find him facing up to Kedor Laomer. Now he's in the water, waiting in the water. And now we find him in Genesis 22 and the dude's swimming in a deep end. Now, I think that's what God wants for all of you. All of you are at different levels. Maybe you're on the beach. Maybe you're wading into the water. Maybe you're swimming, snorkeling in a little bit of depth. But then maybe you're still swimming. And, and God's calling you to go deep dive, deep sea diving. Wherever you're at, God wants to bring you further up and further into a relationship with Him, into dependence with Him, into faith. And these tests are the undercurrents that pull you further and further and further out into the ocean of faith. So, how does Abraham do? Let's look at his test results. Abraham heard God's command and headed out. That's a very different Abraham than was there before. Scripture highlights his preparation to shine the spotlight on his obedience. He doesn't just hear the command, he cuts the wood. 
and then he goes. He cuts the wood upon which God just told him to burn his son. And then he gets to the place where he's supposed to be and he sees the mountain on the horizon. So he's made it to the mountain, from Beersheba to the mountain. And he's uh, where he's supposed to be, he sees the mountain on the horizon and he tells his crew of guys, he says, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and we will worship and we will come back again to you. That's a strange thing to say. Didn't God just tell him that he's going to kill his son? And yet Abraham looks at his crew of guys. He goes, no, no, no. We're going to go. We're going to worship. And then we're going to come back. Me and him. Now, again, there's, there's a couple of options. Either Abraham's lying and he doesn't want these guys to know what's about to happen. Or Abraham knows something they don't know. And if you know the story, Abraham's not lying. He is coming back down that mountain with Isaac. So the only logical option is he knows something that they don't know. God has promised this son, Isaac, to Abraham. He has promised that this son will eventually become a great nation. And one day this great nation will produce an offspring who will then bless every family of the earth. And Abraham knows that that promise isn't happening without Isaac. To have a nation, he has to have a son. To get to the son, he has to have this son. So he knows that whatever's going to happen, it's impossible for Isaac not to come back down from that mountain. Isaac must come back down. God must make a way for Isaac to come back. Or else there's other options. God's lied. He said, hey, I'm not going to actually do what I promised you. Or he's denied himself. Or he's like, I'm actually not able to do what I promised you. And Abraham knows neither one of those options are the option. God can't lie. God can't deny himself. So when God has made a promise and yet he's given a command that seems to go against that promise, his only logical solution is that God's going to solve the dilemma. God's going to do something because his promise will never be broken. Even if he asked Abraham to go up a mountain, kill his son, God's promised his son. Those two things may look like they're in conflict, but somehow, some way, God's going to solve the dilemma. And he's going to work it out. Now most of us might not have even started that journey, right? A God who says things like that is too intense. Especially for us modern people. It's like, whoa, this is like old Canaanite junk. This is weird. But th this is exactly the God that is in the Bible. Now here's the thing. Abraham shows us how... To look at God's seemingly strange, hard, difficult commands and to look at it against the backdrop of his good nature. Now, I'm going to fight popular, theo uh, popular opinion here. I actually don't believe that theology and faith are pitted against each other. I think it's a bad move when you start talking about, I don't, want to, I don't want to do theology, I just want to be a person of faith. Okay, great. You can't be a person of faith without theology. Good theology leads to being a person of faith. What is faith? Well, it's you trusting God and who He is and what He does. How do you get there? You first have to know who God is and what He does. Good theology makes healthy faith. Healthy faith is the inevitable outcome of good theology. If there's ever anyone that has a theology and is not a man of faith, it's not a problem with the theology. It's a problem with the man. He's not doing good theology. Abraham knows God, knows he's faithful, knows he won't break his promise. And it's based off of what he knows about God that he can then go. 
It's the knowledge of God and his greatness and his faithfulness that moves Abraham by faith to the mountain. And so that's how we can start journeys like this. Is even when we like, God, God wouldn't ask me to do that. Well, think about God. Think about who God is in all of his greatness. Think about his omniscience, his omnipresence, his omnipotence. Think about all of that and think of who he is and let that knowledge of who he is motivate you to start the journey like Abraham did. So Abraham leaves Beersheba and he gets to the mountain. Now, starting the journey of faith is just the beginning. But Abraham has no intention of just going to the mountain. He's going to go up it. It's good enough that he got uh, to the mountain, but he wants to go further up and further in. He wants, he wants to obey God. He's going he's gonna to follow the Lord. Now, at this moment, I just, there's some details here that we need to fix. If you've pictured Isaac as this little boy that Abraham's kind of coaxing along with a dum-dum suckered up the mountain, that's not the image of Isaac that we have in Scripture. Um, do you know how much wood it takes to burn up an entire sacrifice? I've actually watched a similar sacrifice when I was a missionary. It doesn't take sticks. It takes logs, okay? Like, you, you, you got to have wood. So when he says wood, we're talking about logs. Isaac is strong enough to carry logs up a mountain. I can barely carry my, my backpack up a mountain. This is Isaac, okay? Jewish tradition places him somewhere in his early 20s to his mid-30s. So he's somewhere in that age range. So this is, a, this is an adult dude. And he's walking up the mountain with Abraham. Carrying, he sees, okay, I've got the logs. I've got the stuff to make a fire. Dad's given me the knife. Where's the sacrifice, Dad? I mean, it's a valid question. We've, we've made it all this way. Behold, my father, I see, the, I see the fire. I see the wood. But where's the lamb? I think we forgot something really big. But then Abraham answers, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. Now again, there's two options. Either Abraham doesn't want to freak out his son about what's about to happen and he's lying to him. Or option two, Abraham really does believe God's going to provide a lamb. I think it's the second option. Abraham's faith has grown so strong that he's willing to walk up a mountain before he really has any guarantee of how it's going to work out. He just knows it will. He just knows it will work out. He, he, he knows that somehow, some way, God is going to make it so that Isaac lives. God and God alone must provide a, a lamb. How in the world in Mount Moriah are you going to find a lamb? I don't know. But God's going to provide it. You see, you know you're living in a moment of faith when God asks you to trust Him and obey Him even when you don't have all the answers of how it's going to work out next. Sometimes you just have to walk up the mountain even if you're unsure where the twists and the turns lie in the road. I remember back in, I think it was 2010, uh, I had, uh, my, there was me and my fiance, we were about to get married, and we both felt this compelling call to go to a closed country in East Asia and share the gospel. Um, we were signing up our lives to intentionally break the country's law, tell people about Jesus, and plant churches. 
for me, it's like, okay, this is crazy. I want to know it's going to be okay. I don't want to take my wife to this situation. I mean, I've waited my whole life for this wife. I don't want to go to East Asia and then get in big trouble. And then suddenly my whole life's ruined. I need to know it's going to be okay. And I just remember sitting down with one missionary and just, uh, just looking at him. I'm like, I, I just need to know it's going to work out. I have all these questions. Can you help me settle my anxiety? He said, nope. I said, well, I start making, I give him my prospectus. I give him my budget. I'm, I'm trying to show him all these ways I'm hoping it's going to work out. He's like, Justin, Justin, you don't have to have it all figured out if God's calling you to go. This is all great. Oh, great. You should have budgets. You should have prospectus. But if God's calling you to go, he's not asking you to figure it out. He's asking you to go. I'm like, well, then how do I know that we're going to be safe? And he leans across the table and he goes, who told you mission work was safe? I'm like, well, I need, I need security. He's like, there's none of that in this. You have to go. If God's told you to do it, you have to go. I'm like, how is it going to work out? He's like, I don't know how, but if God's in it, it will. Go. Maybe you're in that same boat as we were today. Maybe you're at this moment and you're just like, man, I, I want to do that thing I feel like God's calling me to do, but I don't have any guarantee that's going to be okay. I don't know how the finances are going to work out. I don't know where I'm going to get the time. I don't know. What, I, don't, I, I got to figure all this out. How is it going to be okay? Maybe God wants you to start hiking up the mountain before you have any of those answers. Trusting that the Lord will provide a lamb when he wants to. Let's ask a dangerous question, shall we? What is one thing God wants you to do today to go from the foot of the mountain up the mountain? One thing. We all have that one thing that God wants us to start doing by faith without knowing how it's going to work out. Maybe it's joining a community group. You have no idea where you're going to find the time to join a community group. You don't know how it's going to change your, your schedule. But God's saying join a community group. Join a community group. Even if you don't know how it's going to work out in your week. Maybe God's telling you, yeah, I've been putting off this foster and adopt thing. You know, we've been telling people for years that we're someday praying about it. What if that's this year? Well, where are we going to, where's the kid going to sleep? Where, where's the money going to come from? Where's the energy going to come from? How do I know we're not going to have one of those crazy stories that we get a foster kid who wants to kill us in the middle of the night? What if God wants you to start hiking up that mountain before you have all those answers and just trusting in him? Maybe he's got it settled. Maybe he's got joy for you in going through this potentially difficult, scary thing that you can't have without going down that road. Maybe God's calling you to go across the street and share the gospel with your friend before you know how that conversation's actually going to work out. Maybe God wants you to sign up for cross-cultural missions and to do that, knowing that there may be a chance that you're not making it home. Parents, maybe it's letting your kids say yes to Jesus and sign up for missions. Statistically, the biggest problem, the biggest obstacle to the Great Commission today is parents who hinder their kids from going. Maybe God doesn't want you to have it all figured out. He wants you to rest in Him. You see, God doesn't always give us guarantees. Why? Because He is the guarantee. If He gives you guarantees, then you're going to look at the guarantees, not at the guarantee. Sometimes God doesn't give answers because he's the answer. 
Abraham, go up the mountain. You don't know how it's going to work out. I'm the solution. Follow me. That's what this story is about. So Abraham goes to the mountain and he starts to go up the mountain fully trusting that God is going to provide. And step by step he trusts his promise keeping God. Now he gets to the mountain, to the top of the mountain. So, so Abraham's gone to the mountain, up the mountain, he's on the top of the mountain. Now if I'm Abraham, I'm like, the closer I'm getting to the top, there's the peak. <laughs> I told God said he's going to provide a lamb. Where's the lamb? <laughs> you know, as I'm taking those final steps, I'm internally screaming, Lamb, God, lamb, where's the lamb? You know, I'm just freaking out. And if I got to the top of the mountain, I'd be like, well, I tried. And then I'm turning back down, right? But no, that's not what Abraham does. Abraham gets to the top of the mountain, and then he builds the altar. Okay, maybe that's the line. Still no lamb. He ties up his son, his 20-something-year-old son, who's willingly bound by his 90-something-year-old father. He lies his son on the wood, and then, get this, he picks up the knife. Now, pause. Either Abraham is crazy and certifiably insane... Or again, Abraham knows something that we don't. How could Abraham possibly do that? Remember, Abraham knows trust beyond a shadow of the doubt in a radical way that God has promised this son. And this son, nothing can happen to this son that's going to change that promise. Not even a knife. Hebrews chapter 11 verses 17 through 19 kind of gives us some insight into that moment. It says, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his son, of whom it was said, Through Isaac shall, be your, offspring, shall your offspring be named. So there's the promise. Now listen to this. Promises on the line. Promises laying right there on the wood. Knife is coming down. What was in Abraham's mind? Verse 19. He considered that God was able to even raise him from the dead. What kind of faith is that? If we're all honest, at some point or another in our life, we all have a line. Mine would have probably been halfway up the mountain somewhere. Got here no further. Don't ask me to go cross. There's the line. If you've not sent the lamb, I'm not crossing that line. Where's Abraham's line? Abraham's line is past my line. It's on top of the mountain. It's past the altar. It's past the wood. It's past tying up his son. It's past picking up the knife. It's past even death because he knows that if God's promise, not even death will stop the promises of God. You see, this is where we get this story wrong. We think about Genesis 22 and we say, oh, look at this guy who gave God such a big sacrifice. If Abraham were in the room, he's like, the story's not about my big sacrifice. The story's about my big God. I can sacrifice big things because my God is bigger. I can slaughter, slay whatever's in my life. Bank accounts, my children's future. My own security and safety. Why? Because my God raises the stinking dead. I mean, some of you need that motivation to do the thing that God is calling you to do. How can you do hard things? 
Because God does the impossible things. God does the impossible things. Now throughout this story, Abraham has hope for a solution he could not see. He has trusted in God and his promise, hoping, praying, waiting that God would provide a lamb, knowing that God would provide a lamb. Then finally, at the very last second, when he gets to the point of no return, his faith is made sight. With his hand on the knife poised to kill, the angel of the Lord stops him and says, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Abraham looks up and guesses what he sees. There's the ram. The one that he, you know, the one that he talked about on the way up the mountain. Hey, God's going to provide the land. Well, th well, there it is. Stuck in thorns. I, I, uh, I love to take wildlife. Uh, I, I'm a wildlife photographer in my, in my days off. Um, and I love chasing down bighorn sheep. Um, do you know how often bighorn sheep get stuck in thickets up on the mountain in their own turf? Not very often. If ever. And yet there it is. There's the lamb that God promised. And he's able to take that lamb, take that ram, sacrifice it in place of. In Hebrew, it's, it's literally as a substitute. In place of his son Isaac. And for Abraham, it proves something very important about God. The God who promises is the same God who will provide for his promise. God promised that Abraham's offspring would become a great nation. And he knows God must be the one who did it. So when God commands a sacrifice, guess who's going to make that sacrifice happen? It's the Lord. Which is why Abraham's able to call this place, Mount Moriah, the Lord will provide. Now, it's, it's a strange way to put it because God already provided, didn't he? The ram's burning, the smoke's on the altar already, right? So it had been more appropriate for Abraham to name the place, the Lord provided. Perfect tense. But instead, the Hebrew uses the imperfect tense, the Lord will provide. Why, Abraham? Because here's why. Abraham saw that what he experienced was not just for him, but for all of us. He believes that what he just witnessed is going to happen in an even greater way in the future. How could we not see hints of the future gospel in this chapter? A father goes to Mount Moriah. By the way, Mount Moriah is the same place where Solomon builds the temple. Where the sacrifices and the sin sacrifices are made day in and day out. And guess who was condemned to death in that temple? The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So you have this father who goes to the place where lambs are slaughtered. Throughout all of biblical history to sacrifice his only beloved son. The one that he loves. The son being able to, to reject becomes a willing sacrifice who does not fight his father. But carries the wood of his own sacrifice up the mountain to die on it. And then as Hebrews chapter 11 verse 19 says. Even undergoes a figurative resurrection when he comes back down it. Hmm. I wonder what that reminds me of. I've seen this before. It's like Abraham knows what he's just seen. It's just a dress rehearsal. This is just a whisper of what's to come. It's a dress rehearsal of the death and resurrection of Jesus. God provided. 
and God will provide. Now, here's what this means for you. Abraham was willing to obey and trust the Lord with a forward-looking faith. Before he knew how that lamb was going to be provided, he was willing to go to the mountain, up the mountain, and to raise his knife. Trusting fully that the lamb would be provided. We all get the privilege of a backward-looking faith. Where God calls us to the mountain, up the mountain, and to the knife, knowing that the lamb has already come. With that kind of perspective of faith, what's off the table? I mean, let me just tell you what my vision for Stonegate is. My vision for Stonegate is parents cheering their kids on while they're being commissioned to mission as missionaries on stage. To see baptismal pools filled up with our neighbors. To see you moving, to get off your rear and to serve. To go cross uncomfortable lines and join community groups. Why? Because the Lord has provided. I'm asking God to do something big in you. And to bring you tests that drive you further up and further in. For some of you, your next step needs to be talking to foster and adoption people. For some of you, your next step needs to be going to the group's wall. For some of you, your next step needs to be having that talk with your kid and saying, I know you said you wanted to do this and I blocked it. Go with my blessing. Jesus, you alone are the God who provides for your people. You test us for our good so that our faith may grow. God, wherever these people are, whatever you're calling them to do, I pray that an entire crew of people will go from Beersheba to the mountain, from the foot of the mountain up the mountain, up the mountain to the top of the mountain where they'll grab the knife knowing that it will all work out because Jesus is king. God, will you stir hearts today to be missionaries? God, will you move people to be foster parents and adoption parents or, or respite care for those who need some rest? God, will you make your people so uncomfortable today that they depend on you more and obey you better? We pray this in your son's name. Amen.